You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, broadcast live to air on Edge Radio 99.3 FM and proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. The Dice Men Cometh! Well, here we are back in the studio. It's Thursday evening, every second Thursday. In the evening. In the evening. That is when... The three dice men, yes, you heard it here, three, come together to talk about all things board game related, perhaps some card games, perhaps even some role-playing games, or even maybe occasionally nerd culture, whatever comes into our head, really. But, gentlemen, Mm. I have some very exciting news. Really? Not one piece of exciting news, but in fact, two pieces... The first of these exciting pieces of news is that the first ever Dice Men Cometh secret episode is now available. I thought the first rule of Dice Man's secret episode is you don't talk about Dice Man's secret episode. Well, we're breaking the rule. We're breaking the fourth wall right now. Well, we screwed that up because we talked about 90 minutes of that secret episode <laughs> when we did it. <laughs> uh, that's right. It's an extra secret long after Dark episode where we talk all sorts of crazy things and you can't get it on the radio. And in fact, there's only one way to get it and I'm not going to tell you how. But it's a secret. Because it, it's a secret. That's right. However, if you do go to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com forward slash Diceman Cometh or our Instagram page where we are at Diceman Cometh, you can find out about how you get hold of the secret episode it is very exclusive and very secret but that's the least exciting of the most exciting news tonight gents wow because we teased it on our last show we have tonight we're going to start a competition not just any old competition but in fact a competition giving away two of the reddest hottest tickets to the reddest, hottest board game convention, this side or that side of the border. Yeah, this one makes those silly Willy Wonka prizes look completely unimportant. Mm. Yeah, and not just that, it is essentially one of the first conventions there has been in several years. Or it's definitely the first one that the Dicemen will be attending, that's for sure. And look, people might be saying, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, I can't get tickets to that convention because it's sold out, because they limited the numbers, because they don't want people breathing all over each other, and because it hasn't been running for a couple of years. And yet, you, lousy dice men, have two tickets. And to that I say to you, ha! But secondly, I say, the dice men come with have a long-standing relationship with BorderCon and the BorderCon organising committee. And before they even knew the numbers would be reduced, before they knew it wasn't going ahead, they had committed to us these two tickets. So we've locked them in a headlock. Leon, the wrestling specialist, he's got them down on the ground. He's got a figure four leg lock around their head. Oh, yeah. And we're forcing them to live up to their deal, which is to give us those two tickets to BorderCon. So you might be wondering, how can you get your hot little hands on those hot little tickets for that hot little convention? Can I guess? Have a guess, Garth. Is it a secret? No. That's no, because no, we Damn. wouldn't have any That's entries right. if we made it a secret. <laughs> no, but 
I'll tell you now. Okay, good. Look, we're not even, you know, we've broken the third rule of radio, which is keep all the good stuff till the end. We want you to know right up front now, just in case you get bored and switch off, but of course you won't, how you go about winning these tickets is you need to let us know what game you would like to play with the Dice Men at BorderCon and why, and you need to let us know in the form of a video clip, an audio clip, a photo, um, a montage made of banana skins. Or another montage or a choreography yeah. um, video or something like that. Basically, you need to put in a little bit of effort. Some form of media, if you like, because the reason why you can't just phone it in, I guess you could phone in an audio clip, but the reason why you don't want to just phone it in is because the judging is completely subjective up to us because... We are the judges, and as judges, our decision will be final. And we will choose the entry that we are most excited about playing with you. And so if you're not excited about playing it with us, by demonstrating your excitement in that piece of media, well, what chance have you got? So the deadline, gentlemen, for this competition, have we decided what it is? I don't think we have. Well, really, you know, because you've got to get organised for June, I think we're probably talking about after two more episodes. So our next episode is in mid-ish May. Let's just call it easy and say you have to have your entry in by the end of May. Yes, very much. Now, BorderCon, for those who have not listened to enough of the Dice Men Cometh or have been living under their board game table... BorderCon happens on the Queen's birthday long weekend. It is in Albury, but you can stay in Wodonga mm. if you want to because they're very, very close to each other. It goes from the Friday evening-ish, Friday afternoon-ish of the mm. Queen's birthday long weekend and goes all the way through to your Monday. And there are numerous attendees who will get there early and numerous attendees that will stay there late. But that is the actual convention itself. And it is the hardest ticket in town to get. Yep. And as you say, Mark, the only reason that we do have these two tickets, given the circumstances, is because BorderCon said, look, we factored these two tickets in every single year. Mm. They were factored in years ago. They will continue to be factored in. Anyway, we have waffled on enough, even though it is very, very exciting. So get all those entries in, all the fun media to us. But we can't keep talking on and on about that because we've got two games to talk about and they are two absolute pearlers. They're nothing alike in the slightest, but, ooh, are they juicy. They and, are indeed. And what are those two games, Leon? Those two games you will find out after the break. Oh, okay, we're going to come back after the break. You're listening to episode 329 of The Dice Men Cometh here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Yeah. Hey everyone, this is Garth here, dialing in fresh from finishing our secret bonus episode for Patreon backers only on a Saturday night with Mark and Leon. And I'm a bit tired, I'm a bit spent, because we have just spent an hour and a half going through our wonderful lists of games that make us swear. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, and you haven't heard what Patreon is all about, well let me just tell you that if you become an official friend of the Dice Man, which you can do by going to our Patreon and just becoming a little supporter, it's a bargain price, 
you will become an official friend of ours. And for that privilege, you'll get a couple of dice sent out to you. You'll get to listen to these exclusive episodes that we're going to be bringing out at least once per month. They're going to be very different to the show because we're going to ask all of our backers for input. You get to ask us questions, tell us what kind of episodes you want, and then we'll deliver because that's the kind of people we are. But if you want more, you'll automatically be entered into our quarterly Friends of the Dicemen only board game giveaway. And you might want to have a look at our Instagram page to check out what kind of quality games that we've got. So the first three winners have got their games going over to them already, which is wonderful. And that includes someone getting them all the way on the other side of the planet. You can ask us questions and we'll you know, answer them as honestly as we're allowed to. You'll get extra bonus entries into any standard competitions that we've got. And oh boy, oh boy, do we run some seriously cool competitions. Not to mention that, that if and when you happen to be in the same convention at the same space as the same dice people, you get to have games with us. You get to go to the top of the queue to do that because sometimes that's going to be something that we're going to be able to do. And I think for the low, low price of whatever it is our Patreon pledge is, jump onto patreon.com forward slash dicemencometh. You should go and investigate that because you know you want to. You know you want us to be at conventions, and you know you want to listen to some more exclusive Dice Man content. So jump over there, say hello to the other backers, interact, talk with us. And anyway, on with the show. Well, there you go. That was Wet Leg with Chaise Longe if you didn't know from the actual song, saying it over and over and over <laughs> and over and over and over again. But Mark, being the element of youth in this particular youth station, insisted that we play it. You are with the Dice Men Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Let's get back to the real crux of why we're here. Hang on, Garth. <gasps> Before we go on, mm. people might be thinking, but hang on, if I want to enter this amazing competition and have the best chance to win... How could I give myself an advantage? How could I study the games that the dice men like to get an indication of what they might want to play to help me win the competition? How would I do that, Garth? Well, there's a couple of ways. Mm -hmm. First of all, if you find us, you can crack our heads open and just pull out all that board gaming goodness from inside, but mm. I wouldn't recommend that. Or, possibly. Or, what you could do is jump onto our socials and find out how you can listen to our super secret oh, episode yeah. because we do give you quite a bit of insight mm. into games that we enjoy. We do. So I would strongly suggest if you want to maximise your chances of getting to BorderCon and playing whatever game that you choose with us, you first of all listen to our super secret episode, mm. second of all put in an entry, and that includes sending us an email at dicemancometh at gmail.com as well as all the at dicemans on the socials. Yeah. Now, Leon. Yes, sir. You have got a game I that do. you are ready to tell us about. Yes. This game is, at the moment, one of the hottest of the hotness and <gasps> has been for a while because a little show called Shut Up and Sit Down, you may mm. have heard of it, uh, our sister show in the UK, essentially. Uh, they're a tad more successful than us, but just a tad. Uh, they reviewed this recently, and a lot of people have then gone nuts on it. Now, however, I picked this up by it being on Kickstarter. Probably, uh, I didn't even bother to look it up. I think it was like about a year or so ago. And yeah. I saw it and went, oh, that's cheap. And a lot of people in my family really like horse racing. Mm. So I thought, I'll just give it a crack. I was literally must have been bored out of my scone one day, scrolling through Kickstarter, and just went, I'll give it a shot. And it just happens to turn out... 
that it's a game that everyone's really interested in by the time it comes out, which is a great thing. Because yes. the, the amount of games I've backed on Kickstarter and then it's turned up and <laughs> no one could care less, including yeah. myself by the time it turns up half the time. I say, most of the time, yeah. they're... They come in the door and they're almost out the door as quickly being sold somewhere. Now, the interesting thing for me, though, Leon, is yes. this apparently, from what I can see, given that there's some dice and some pens, yep. this appears to be a roll and write. Now, I didn't think you were a fan of the roll and write. No, technically, if you're talking about rolling and writing, this is the only one I own. Oh, you got and rid of cartographers? Oh, no, it's no, a flipping no, write. It's a flipping write. <sighs> I own two something and writes, and this is one of them. That, am I going to keep it? You're going to find out soon. No spoilers today, Garth. You're not getting it out of me that easy. You're going to have to listen to me prattle on for at least another few minutes. Or okay. listen to the secret episode, because I think you discuss it there as well. Possibly, I do. Uh, anyway, this game originally came out in 2009, which is basically the Middle Ages when what? it comes to board gaming. It was designed by Chris Handy, who is the same man who has designed this new version of it, and it was brought out by... Perplexed Games. Now, Perplexed, instead of an X, they've got a die and the five shows the five sider, which is like an X. That is just clever. Did you see that, Mark, there? Is that clever? Uh, he can't yeah. even see it from yeah. that far away. Okay. What am I talking about? Before? Either way. <laughs> so it came out 13 years ago, for a very, very long time ago. So in that version of the game, there were 10 horses you could race. In this new version, there's only eight. Does that make it better or worse? We'll soon find out. Better a horse. <laughs> yep. Or horse. Yep. I got I'm going to say nay. <laughs> they also used to have a much bigger board and kind of miniatures back then, whereas this one has a relatively smaller board, but these cool little wooden tokens that have lovely artwork painted on them. And the good thing about these little wooden tokens is if you put two together, yep. what you can do is this. Yes, that is exactly what you can do. And those miniatures, they were like ponies. Yeah, and they were pretty bland looking and you had to put stickers on them and apparently those stickers come off nearly straight away anyway. Uh. So it was not ideal. Also, that game back in the day, um, there's a dice in this that you use for moving your horse. It's kind of a roll and move game. Kind of, it's not really. Just calm down, everyone, calm down. Back in those days, there used to be a zero on the dice so your horse could go nowhere, which is a bit harsh. This one, new version, doesn't have that. And also... The main thing about the old game is that you used to play with a deck of cards. You used to use a deck of cards for a lot of things. Mm. Actions that the horses could do and little kind of like event type things and whatnot. So this game is quite a bit different. And why is it quite a bit different? Well, Chris Handy does something that I think I'm actually quite a big fan of and that I'd like to see a lot of designers do. That he went, I really liked that game that I designed all those 13 years ago. But let's face it. The board gaming world has very much moved on in 13 years. Yep. I don't want to do just a second edition with a bit of, you know, sprucing it up a bit. I want to redesign. I want to take the essence of that game and go, how can I just make it better and make it more modern? And that's what he's done. Mm. One of the things that I first things that I noticed um, was that these little horse tokens, all the different jockeys on them are various different humans from all different kind of, you know, different races, different genders, different what have you. And they did that on purpose because the art designer actually went and looked at the history books and looked at things like the first African-American jockey, the first um, Asian female jockey, things of that nature. Yeah. And she did based her designs off that. So just little things like that to make things more inclusive. Of course, there's a couple of overweight white guys. So we can feel involved as well, which is just... We, they don't need to be there. We could have more people. But either way, that is an awesome little extra that they've added into mm. it. It's just a little bit of... You know, yep. necessary or unnecessary, inclusion and diversity is always fantastic. Excellent. And it's something that obviously a lot of designers or graphic designers or artists yep. haven't really done a huge amount of in the gaming hobby. No, but it's happening. They're trying more and more harder, which is, you know, good. So this game is a one to eight player. Uh, that's the last time we'll mention the one because there's a solo mode. There's components for it in the box. Uh, we've not touched it, but you might want to touch it. 
Anyway, uh, so you go for nu- you go nuts because we've actually played this game at I think I've played this at three, at four, at six, and at eight. And I'm here to tell you, it actually plays really well at all the numbers, and it actually mm. doesn't take that much longer when you play with all the other players. And you'll find out why soon. It says in the booklet that it takes about 25 minutes. I reckon about half an hour, 40 minutes is about right. Uh, it also says 14 and up. The only reason would be 14 and up. I've actually played this with people that are younger than that. Would be the fact that it's got gambling in it. And you need to know for the fact that gambling is, you know, can be a horrible thing and mm. people can be deal with addiction. When we actually played this the first time, there was a friend of ours that had dealt with addiction and gambling before. And before we played it, I asked him kindly, I said, listen, mate, this is what the game's about. It's not really, what do you feel? And he went, thank you for asking me, but I, it's fine. Cool. And I was like, excellent, excellent. So let's rock and or roll. So how do you play this game? I don't know. Well, what you're going to do is you're just a bunch of people at the races and you want to make all the money because that's how you win on most of these type of games. Yes, that is what you're going to do. So you're going to start off with 12 dollary dues. You're also going to start off with a card that gives you a few little marks on your sheet because as you said, this is a roll and write. You're marking off stuff on that little sheet of yours as well as it gives you a few opening bets. So you've got a couple of horses straight away that you've got... A horse in the race already. Because <laughs> that's a pun you normally... Uh, Mark's staring at me. <laughs> so, on your turn, what you're going to do, when it is your turn, you'll roll two dice. One of them will show you how much the horse is going to move, one, two, or three spaces. And then the other die, which is an eight-sided die, will tell you which of the eight horses is going to move. Mm. And then, that die that showed you the movement, you can throw that away. You don't need that anymore. But that other die which shows you the one to eight horse is very, very important. You might need it for the second turn. Yeah, because someone's going to use that for all the actions that they can do. So straight away, that horse is going to move a certain amount of numbers on its, you know, on the track. And then what also it's going to do is it's going to drag a few horses behind it. Because that's the way this game works and with the odds. Because you look at it and you go, well, the odds of me rolling it on the die are the exact same. Why would one horse say, if number one wins, why am I only getting like five to one's odds? Is it Whereas, a chariot race? Possibly. Why, why is the horse dragging stuff? No, well, it's just it's just a mechanic of a board oh, game. Oh, okay, right, right. Garth, you're Mark, whatever. Uh, <laughs> so the odds are different because there are different marks on different cards which show you which different horses get dragged along. So the reason why number horse one is a favourite because he's got different marks at the start on different cards, mm. which I think is very cool. So what can you do on your turn? I hear everybody out there asking. Well, there's a concession stand you go to. If you want to get a hot dog, you can do that. If you want to get some horribly overpriced booze, I'm sure you can get that as well. And you're just going to mark off a little mark on it. What then you're going to do is if you have four in a row, either horizontally or vertically, never, ever, ever diagonally, because board gaming, sure, because by diagonally is, is the evil, when you do that, you'll get a special reward. Those special rewards can be simple things like you can get a free bet, you can get seven extra dollars just to add to your hand, what you can do, something that we really like, is that you can make certain horses go forward a few spaces, but you can make a few other horses go oh, yeah. back a few spaces. That's nasty. Which brings in the swears, and we like doing the swears. Now, when we're on radio, we're very professional. But when we're off radio, on, say, like, say secret episodes, ooh, do we let fly sometimes? <laughs> so you can do that. Another action you can do is you can mark off a little space based on the horse that was rolled that has a little helmet symbol. And what does that mean? Well, what that means is that if that horse is three quarters around the track, you can still bet on it all the way up until the finish line. Whereas if you don't have that little helmet marked off, you can't do that. Mm. You can't go, oh, it might win. I'm going to place bets on it. No, you need to have that little thing marked off, which I think is nice. Then there's another space right next to it where there is a jersey. You can mark that space off. And if you do that, you get to mark on that card another horse that gets dragged along, even itself if it hasn't been marked off. 
And that's really cool. Yeah. It's because otherwise it's a pretty dud action. Yeah. That one. And it's not one that immediately I was drawn to. Yep. Yeah. And then I went, oh, 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 mm. I'm going to need these horses to come along for the ride with this other horse as it moves forward. Yeah. Because I've got money on this horse. So I want it to move forward as well as, you know, when you keep rolling those damn ones all the time, Leon, I want yeah. my horse number three or five to come along as well. But also, if you've marked off the helmet and the jersey of the same horse, you can get an extra $5 at the end of it. So why not? There's always something you can do in this game. It only takes half an hour. You're never at a complete loss. There's unless Right near the end, you might have heaps of stuff marked off and you might be a bit lost. But normally, you're going to be completely fine. Or, guess what? You can place a bet on a horse. You can, you can put up to $3 on any horse. Well, the one that just rolled. Uh, if you've got money on it, you can increase that money. And that's the way that, say, Garth won one of the games. We're putting just heaps of money on one horse. And then it did a win. Well, I also own the horse. Yes. And which I made sure it won. Which is another action you can do. You can buy the horse from 4 to $10, depending on how much of a favourite it is. And if you buy that horse, it goes in front of you. What that means is you can get a bit of extra money if that horse comes first, second, or third. But what it also means is you get a special ability of that horse, and they're all completely different. Oh, asynchronous special abilities. Yes, and not just is there eight different horses that have eight different special abilities. In this box... Well, at least the Kickstarter version that I've got, there's about four different other decks of those cards that you can put in the game. And you can mix and match them as well. So every time you play, you could have a completely different combination of these cards. Also, should probably mention now that there's about two or three other little mini expansions in this box that I haven't even looked at yet. Because yeah, nice. I've played this game like four or five times and couldn't care less because I'm just loving it, just the base game as it is. Well, hopefully one or two of them are really good solo modes. Possibly. I don't know. <laughs> also, what you can do on your turn, if you don't like the die that's been rolled, there's three little horseshoes down the bottom. You can cross them off, and that's up to three times during the game, and pretend that it's any other horse that's been rolled and do a special action based off that. And that's it. You do all that, you get to the end, you add up the bets that you've won, you add up your pairs of stuff you've crossed off, the money that you've got, the horses that have won, and then whoever has the most is the wiener. Mm. This game is good. It is very, very good. I've been trying to think about something negative to say about this game because even yeah. though I did really badly in the first game that I played I have to admit I actually enjoyed it and uh, I think even for people who don't like horse riding uh, horse racing I feel like this game is fun because it it doesn't glorify horse racing. It doesn't make it the sport of kings or anything like that. It's actually just a fun romp that only lasts for a quite a short period of time, as you said, Leon, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And also, unlike some other racing-type games where if someone you know is a breakaway leader and the rest of you just sit there and go, you know, no point, I might as well quit now, that doesn't happen because of the horse dragging off other horses, getting that um, cycling style, getting some um, yeah, slip drafting, yep. slipstreaming. Um, everyone is sort of in the race until the end and is often really unclear who's actually going to win. Yeah, and as I said before, maybe when you get right to the end of this game, right to the bare bones of it, you might be able to go, oh, they've rolled a five and I've crossed off everything to do with the number five horse, so I can't do anything more at the moment. That's very rare, but it might happen right at the end of the game. Otherwise, there's always something for yeah. you to do. Even if you just go, I don't really know what to do with this horse, but I've still got that number I can cross off on the concession stand. You do that, oh, and, oh, guess what? I've just made myself a line, and now I'm just going to get myself seven bucks, or a free bet, or a free 
buying of a horse, which is huge. Yeah, exactly right. I think this is one of those games where there is no negative action. Yeah. And for the short, simple game that it is, that's really positive. Yeah. First time I played it was, you know, with, uh, was it six of it? No, six, six, six of us. Yeah. yeah. One of whom was my brother-in-law who has no real experience being a board gamer because this is not Trent. This is the other one. He loved it. Yeah. He won the first game. He asked Leon a lot of questions on what should I do, what should I do, what should I do. Yeah, so essentially I won the first game. <laughs> he did. Um, but no, this, this game, there's no bad actions. No. The turns are super duper quick. Uh, and it just is good, clean. Yes, it's gambling, but it's pretend gambling. And you could change the theme to whatever you want. Because yep. it, it doesn't have that overriding arch of, oh, I've got to compulsively bet on this thing. Because... You want to have a bit of an interest in a lot of different horses, including ones that you own, including ones that you don't own. Because even if I own a horse and it comes first at $35, but if Leon's put you know 8 or $10 on it and it's going to pay back six times that, Leon still wants that horse to win. Yeah. And it's really just interesting. I like it. And look, here's the other thing. Firstly, it looks great on the table. It's oh, got yeah. really sort of cartoony art. It's bright colours. And... I hate to say it because I'm not a huge fan of a lot of them, but who doesn't love ticking off stuff with a, an erasable pen and crossing out other stuff and writing stuff? I don't know why it's so fun, but it is. The, the roll and write genre has gone berserk, and there are some that aren't that much fun. This one is rolling and writing, and it's fun. Yeah, I think that is the key, that being that this game is fun, because not just, you know, you're rolling some dice, a horse are going around, so it's very easy to kind of see the theme and be into it. But also, the main reasons I think I don't like rolling rights, like I think like when Ganshon Clever was huge, is mm. like I didn't know, it was like, am I doing this right or not? I just felt kind of yeah, stupid half the time. It's a puzzle and you're trying to work it out. Yeah, whereas this, it was like, I can cross off any of these and I'm making progress, I'm doing something. And down in the bottom right-hand corner of your sheet, right next to where you keep how much money you have, it shows the end game conditions and how they will stack up. And so you can just look at that and go, oh, okay, so... I can't do much on my turn, but if I cross that off, I can at least get five bucks at the end. If I put this extra bet on, I could probably get my money back at the end if it's gone to a certain amount. You can't really lose. Yeah, and I think the one key difference for this and a lot of other games in this genre is it's interactive. Yeah. yeah. So, so many of these roll and write, flip and writes, all of that, it's a solitaire puzzle for the most part. You're sitting there just trying to min-max your whole, whole thing. You're never going to min-max this because there's potentially seven other people who have seven other vested interests in it. I don't like roll and rights because I find them, for the most part, boring. This one has high interaction, and that's why I really like it. Yeah. Awesome. There you go. That was Long Shot. We're going to take a quick break here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM and come back to talk about another game shortly. You're with the Dice Man Cometh. Hello everyone, Diceman Mark here with some very exciting news. What would the Diceman be without dice? If you've played a game with us over the years, you may have scored some of our amazing custom dice. You can also get them when you sign up to support us on Patreon. Now, what better place to get our special custom dice than one of Australia's leading dice suppliers and longtime supporter of the show, Behold Games! Behold Games is suppliers of all sorts of amazing dice, including an incredible variety of polyhedral sets, as well as RPG, games and supplies, and of course, board games. 
You can check out everything they have to offer, including all the dice, at beholdgames.com.au. Please consider supporting this brilliant little Aussie retailer and its owner, Tina, who is also the organiser of Board Game Cruise Australia, as well as a fantastic person, friend of the Dice Men, and now also our official Dice Sponsor. Well, here you go. On Edge Radio 99.3 FM with the Dice Ben Cometh. That was a lovely little shortish track by Danica called, aptly enough, Horses, after we've been talking about a horsey board game. Now, Garth, mm. if you're looking for another super hot game, perhaps not as quick as Longshot, but just as engaging. I feel like this game that you're about to talk about, that could hit a sweet spot. Well, I think so. Otherwise, why would we talk about it? (laughs) That's right. I mean, it's hotness, 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 and more hotness. We've got the hotness of the the BorderCon competition. We've got the hotness of the secret... I can't even speak, it's so hot in here. The hotness of the secret episode of Longshot. And now, Garth, we have the hotness of... Anno 1800. (sighs) By the hot designer that is one, Mr. Martin Wallace. Oh, yeah. I think I've heard of him. He's designed a couple of games. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to go through them because otherwise we would be here until our next show in a fortnight. Yeah. Uh, But if you are interested, just type his name into Google and you'll get all of the games that he's done, especially if part of your Google search involves going to board games. Yeah. So in Anno 1800, you are going to be starting a new community on an island. Now, it's going to be pretty tough. It's going to be arduous, but you have dared to attempt it. Now, with just a few residents in your town, you set up the first industries and the first ships lie at anchor. Everything appears to be ready to turn your island into a hub of industrialization with new trade routes or routes reaching into the old and new world. But be sure to plan your venture into the new era well. Resources and technologies are limited and the competition does not rest. Leon, you rest every so often, and Mark, I know you do, mm. and you snore when you do, but that's okay. <laughs> that's why we put him in a different room at BorderCon. Now, Correct. Now, now. But Garth, can I, can I butt in for a second? That theme sounds very familiar. It sounds like one of those fancy sieve-building-like computer games. You know, they've been around for years where you're like starting an island and you build stuff and you get better and... Well, the funny thing That's about that, Mark, is this this board game is based on a video game by, uh, well, a small publisher called, is it Ubisoft? Yes, Ubisoft indeed. U- Ubisoft? Yes, Ubisoft. Yep. Is that related to Microsoft? Uh, well, somewhat. They have games on their platforms. Yes. Anyway, so yes, it is. Uh, the Anno series has been a relatively long-standing video game series oh, yeah. ab- about... I guess colonialization or more so just, you know, sieve building. You yep. start with not much, you turn in rocks into smaller rocks to then get slightly better rocks to turn them into something else. You want to progress through the age until you win by getting the most victory points. And indeed, that is exactly what you'll be doing in Anno 1800. Yeah. Up to four players, minimum of two. So, Liam, you can't play it solo. Oh, drat and darn. I you guess can't. I, I guess I'll just have to play that PC game that it's based <laughs> on. Uh, you'll be sitting around a table, hopefully. You'll each have your own little individual island, and that will start with a little population of around seven people who are cubes, 
That's exciting. Yeah. You'll also start with population cards, one population card per cube that you have. And in the middle of the table, you will have what immediately looks like a big hodgepodge of little square chits, which are your production buildings. And your whole goal is going to be get those from the center onto your island to make them better, to get yourself victory points to win. Now, this game plays for at least a couple of hours. Our very first game where we played with four went for probably three to four hours. Mm. We've managed to get it down a little bit because this game has a bit of a teach involved, especially if you are not aware of the, the theme, you're not aware of the mechanics, and you're not aware of potentially the video game uh, heritage as well. But for a Euro game that could potentially take up to that long, I think I learnt this from a YouTube video that I want to say was maybe, it might have been like a 15 minute video, but realistically, you know, you take off like the intro, the outro and stuff, probably about 10 minutes. 10 minutes for a Euro game that yeah. takes three or so. I mean, you couldn't teach me on Mars in less than an hour, I imagine. And I, I wouldn't let you do that, by Correct, the way. You wouldn't. Just so I'd let you know. So yeah, and then I got to the table, I saw it all there. And it straight away went from overwhelming, look at all this stuff. But because I'd watched that video and gone, it all makes relatively simple sense. Well, the one thing to get your head around is how you're going to use your workers to be able to get them to produce stuff to then be able to make them produce better stuff so that you can get more victory points. And quite simply, yeah. on your own little island, you've got these baseline industries where you can produce wheat, you can produce pigs, you can produce timber, you can produce coal and all of these basic resources. And on your turn, one of your actions you're going to be is simply expand your industry, which is taking the relevant workers of which there are five different colours. You've got farmers, which are green, you've got workers, which are blue, you've got artisans, which are red, you've got engineers, which are purple, and you've got investors, which are turquoise, not a different shade of blue. Oh, uh, you won't worry about those for quite a part of the game. Yeah. Uh, but you're just going to be taking them from their residential districts, which is the top of your little player board, and sliding them down and putting the right coloured cube on the right coloured industry to therefore say, I've taken a green worker who's produced timber. I've taken a red worker who's producing brick. They now make those two things for this particular action, which allows me to then make a whatever it is, a better brick factory or it might be a furniture factory, or it might be a box factory, or whatever the hell it is, it does not matter, because you are just trying to use your available workforce to get better factories, to produce more intricate things, because the way you're actually gonna win is to be the player who hopefully most efficiently gets rid of all of your pop population cards, because these population cards will have prerequisites on them that you need to be able to then build them. They'll all have at the very top of the card, what you need to be able to produce to then play the card. And this card that might be a baseline card says, okay, you need to be able to produce timber and you need to be able to produce sausages and you need to be able to produce boxes. If you play that, you get to put this card down. It's gonna give you an immediate benefit and it'll be worth some victory points at the end. Ah, the old timber box sausage party. We've all, <laughs> we've all been there. Exactly right. Probably something else that happens at BorderCon, but I don't know. No, I, I, I actually love that part of this game, which... It's not really officially part of the game, but, you know, if I produce schnapps and I produce sausages, then I get to put down Colonel Schnapp Sausage <laughs> and he gives me a benefit. And, you know, just that, it's just fun. It is. Doing that. Uh, yes. And making up little names for these people. Do they have names in the PC game, Leon? Uh, no, they are just various different people that you have to attempt to make happy. I can't make Colonel Schnapp Sausage. Mm. Oh, well, you have different... 
like player characters that you can trade with oh, throughout okay. the game that like you have to try and make them happy or you know not fight you to the death. Yeah. Okay. Now, so there's multiple actions that you can do, and we're not going to go into all of them because buy the game and play it if you're that interested. However, you can activate your population cards because whenever you get the benefit, you can choose when to activate that. It doesn't have to be an immediate benefit. You can swap population cards. So if you don't like the ones that you're in your hand and you think there's no way I'm going to ever get to the stage to be able to produce a penny farthing, so I'm going to get rid of that um, and swap it out for something. You can increase your workforce by simply paying resources to get more cubes on your board, which sounds great. More workers mm. means more potential actions, means more things I can do, which means surely I'm going to win. But every time you get an extra cube, you get an extra card that goes along with that. And the way you're going to trigger the end of the game is to be the player who empties their hand, have cards and have nothing left. So extra cubes equals extra cards, which is kind of bad. But kind of good is kind of good. It's certainly something you need to consider. Um, you can upgrade workers as well. So you can upgrade a farmer into a worker, generic worker, or you can turn a worker into an artisan or what have you. And that just means you've got to be able to produce something a bit nicer. Mm. You to turn a farmer into a worker, you've got to be able to produce, say, brick. They need a nicer house to be able to live in. Mm. Um, you can open up the old world, which is going and visiting another, another part of the board and actually bringing a, a bit of extra island to your own individual island, which is really good because you will run out of space. Mm. Uh, they'll all come with a little bit of a benefit. There might be some extra cubes that you get. There might be a pre-built industry or a shipyard or something like that, which is nice. Or you can go to the new world, and that's where you get the more exotic ingredients. You might get cocoa. You might get um, tobacco. You might get cotton. You might get, I don't know, a whole bunch of things. There's at least six different um, new world ingredients, and you will need those to be able to build some of the more highfalutin stuff. Yep. You can take expedition cards that just give you another way to get end of game victory points, or you can celebrate a festival, which is get all your people back because they've all been working away, making your stuff, and you need them all to come back because otherwise you're not going to be able to use those cubes anymore and a festival will make everyone feel happy because it is the festival of Mark. But Garth, I mean, I like the sound of that. But is this then not just an efficiency puzzle? Because if I can make everything and then use everything to make everything else, that sounds like a bit of a multiplayer solitaire experience. Well, it, it is, and it highlights in the rules that this is absolutely a game of efficiency. But one of the things that it, this does really, really well, and unfortunately, I guess it's... Unfortunately... It, it draws a similarity to long shot in that there's really never going to be a bad action that you can have. Mm -hmm. The reason for this is trade. Trade in a lot of games is, Leon, I need a thing from you, please. Can I give it to you? I'll pay you some gold. I'll future favor something, whatever it is. And you go, yes or no. In this game, Leon, if you produce, uh, let's just say brass... Oh. And I need it because I need to produce the windows that I already make and brass to be able to then make glasses or to be able to make, a I don't know, a stethoscope or who knows what it is I need. You can't refuse no. my trade. Instead of spending workers, I'm going to spend some trade tokens and you get those by having uh, merchant ships available to you. And Leon gets money for this. He gets a free gold. Mm. And it doesn't come from me as the person who's trading with him. It comes from this very generous bank. I love it. Yeah. So basically, the player interaction is, I've built some cool stuff. You want to use my cool stuff. I get the benefit for it without having to do anything. That's great. It is great. And money will go around the board and yeah. around the table and around the players 
constantly. Yeah. Because the game plays up to four. On the board that's in the center, there are only ever two of each industry type. Uh, so, right. Mark, you might be the snaps king, yeah. you think. Yeah. But when Leon makes snaps, that's all the snaps the islands yeah. are ever going to have. That's right. And then if I need them to be able to produce something else, I'm going to have to give a dollar, not my own dollar, but the bank's dollar, I'll spend a trade token. In yeah, there. okay. And it's really inoffensive, but it's also really engaging because you are constantly aware of what your opponents are producing. And you are constantly referring to your population cards to say, well, I make this good. I know Leon makes that, so I need a trade token to be able to have it. I need this color worker, which is going to mean a thing. And I've got the resources and let's do it because it's going to give me a benefit. Yeah, the thing I found with some Euro games in the past is that obviously a lot of them have not heaps of player interaction. But when they do, it can really screw up your entire game which is really bad considering a lot of these are quite long type games. Mm -hmm. And you also, when nearly no interaction and all of a sudden there is interaction and you've just destroyed everything. Whereas in this, the worst someone can do is, oh, everyone else at the table has built the couple of things I was really after. All it means is I have to build a few more chips, get a few more trade tokens and use their stuff instead of mine. But as you said, there's never a bad thing you can do on your turn. So while I've gone, oh, that's annoying, I can't build that. I'm sure there's something else I can build that they're going to need as well. Yeah, and I... I know for me, when I looked at this the first time, um, and Garth, there is a story that we need to tell about looking at this at the first time. I think so, yes. Uh, Garth, you and I were at CanCon. We were. And a certain young or not so young Mr. Wallace was also at CanCon with a prototype of this game. And we played it. And there was lots of these just little square cardboard tiles on the board in little short little piles and my first thought was this is a puzzle that needs to be solved and i'm sure there's a way of solving it and unfortunately then what that will mean is either the game is broken because i can do an unsolvable thing that will stop everyone else and make me so much better or it's solvable and well, I've played it 10 times and now I know I know the game inside and out, so I'm never going to want to play it again. And boy, was I wrong. Yeah. Because part of the beauty of the fact that there are only two tiles for each particular technology, and hopefully if you're playing with three or four people, is you can't just go, well, I build this, then 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 I win. It's not that sort of game because... You don't know what the other people are going to do. Yeah, and and you will have circumstances where you cannot physically build something. Mm. And then you will blame everybody else because, Leon, yep. I need access to coffee and you haven't built coffee. Mm. And it's not my fault because I haven't visited the new world, which gives me access to the, the beans to be able to produce it. It's your fault because you have been to the new world, but you haven't chosen to use that coffee to make the coffee that I need. I'm sorry. So it's your fault. Okay. Just letting you know. As long as it's my fault, that's fine. So look, that, that very first game when we played with Martin, you and I, and we played with uh, someone else. Was, was it Charles? I can't remember. Anyway, someone someone else was very, very lucky because they witnessed game playing at arguably its finest. Mm. You know, sitting at that table, people oh would pay money. Oh yes, to I'd be forgotten there. about I'd forgotten about this aspect of that particular game. Oh dear. Because on that day, yep. CanCon, yep. one young Dice Man Gar, yep. beat Mark. Yep. Beat whoever the, the other poor, poor, poor and, and out of their depth player was. Mm-hmm. 
and beat Mr. Martin Wallace at his own game. You you beat Martin Wallace at his own game? At his own, arguably his most complicated game ever. (laughs) And probably, you know, one that is is highest on on the complexity chart. Thank goodness it's not his most complex (laughs) game. But yes, well done, Garth. Uh, Look, I will... I don't care whether he took it easy. I don't care if he was sick of playing his own game numerous times. I get to say forever and a day I beat Martin Wallace at his own game. I guess that probably makes you undefeated at this game then, doesn't it, Carl? Well, it did for a long time, Leon. Yeah. It did. And I, I won this game three times in a row and I was king of Anno. Beautiful. And then what happened? And then and then we invited you. And then <laughs> and we I, invited Leon turned up. And I taught the game yeah. probably better than anyone has taught a game before <laughs> because Leon then won the game. Leon did certainly won the game because, <laughs> as you both said before we actually sat down to play it, you both said, Leon, this is going to be right up your alley. And yeah. why is that? Because it's um, simple. <laughs> well... <laughs> I was hoping for a bit more explanation than just simple, but yes, as you said, this is one of those games, and I am one of those gamers, I must say, where I do kind of half-heartedly, arrogantly, to maybe throw other people off, I do sit there and go, I do have my next five or six turns planned out, not to rush other people and be, you know, rude about it, but it is just the way my brain works. I go, I want to do this, I need to go to do it, whereas in this game, like I said, because the player interaction is relatively simple and it's not going to throw you off, unless someone does something really drastic that I didn't think of in the slightest, I will be able to do my plan. It just means I might have to few a few more resources. And at the end of the day, if it takes me an extra turn or two to do the plan, it's not the end of the world because those turns where I really wanted to do A, I can just do B, and that's going to come in handy later down the track. Yeah, and I think part of the beauty of this game is each of those turns is really quick. Like, yes, you might need to think about what am I going to do, but hopefully you're doing that thinking while other people are taking their turns because the actual turns themselves, like uh, I produce bricks, I produce pigs, I produce wheat, I made pig wheat bread or whatever it is that I make, and that that is literally as long as it takes. Yeah, and this is exactly right. You will, you will look at your cards and you go, okay, well, I've got this number of population cards. What common iconography is on those cards? Okay, three of them, they all need, uh, okay, they all need this particular item, and it might be a pair of glasses. Mm-hmm. So I want a beeline to building glasses. Now, in order to build glasses, I'm going to have to have this, which means I need to have this. So that's the thing I'm going to build first, and I'm going to keep going towards that until I build glasses. And I know there's only two lot of glasses, but someone else is going to probably want them, and they'll give me dollars along the way for, for the use of that. So your strategy is 100% about efficiency and using those cards that you're given to make sure that you're maximising the little drip feed of victory points and bonuses you can get by playing population cards that align with those those production tiles, ultimately going for your high-end, really expensive kind of resources. That's what gives you the most victory points, the highest level ships, the, the chance to win this game. It's, it is an efficiency puzzle, but you are never bored and you're never solitaire. Yeah. And another plus, I think, in this game's column is, uh, as we brought up before when I was talking to you about On Mars, that game on the table, it looks like there's heaps going on. And there is. This game, when you look at it on the table, it looks like possibly there's even more going on. There's so much 
bits to this game on the table. There's all these different workers. There is quite literally like 40 different buildings you can build. And another thing, when you start the game, you said, I think there's seven, you have seven cards in your hand, and there's actually no hand limit. So you could end up with a dozen, 20 cards in your hand. And it's a thing that we've talked about on the show many times over the years, that there's nothing worse when you start a game, giving someone heaps of like cards in their hand and just overwhelming them straight away. We're actually going to talk about a game possibly on that next show that does something similar to that. <laughs> However... With that being said, I hadn't played this before. You guys had sat down. It's a Euro game, which are normally not really my cup of tea. There's heaps of different colourful stuff all over the board. I've got this hand of seven-odd cards. I didn't feel overwhelmed at all at any point after I'd watched one, like I said, like eight-minute video and then sat down to the table a few hours later. And that is a massive plus in any Euro games column in my in my book. Yeah, and look, I do need to obviously, stupidly, but credit Martin Wallace because his whole attitude around games is mechanically simple games that allow complex decisions by the players. And this is one of those games that just lives and breathes that because the simple decision for the most part is what do I need to build? Or I don't have enough workers, so I'm going to hold a festival. Or you've got the thing that I need, Mark, so I need a trade token, so I'm going to build a ship to have a trade token to do the thing. So you, each individual choice is really simple, but it's how all of those simple choices add up to ultimately this efficiency and therefore the victory. I think the other level of wrinkle, if you like, that means it doesn't just boil down to an efficiency engine is those, I can't think, what's the term for those cards, whether they're end game goal cards or do they have a, a special... The exploration term? ones? No, no, so the ones where... You know, you can turn three exploration tokens and three gold into an extra turn. Oh, or yes, whoever the has the, they're the... what? Sorry? The objective card. Yeah, and so there's a, a sort of a smallish but not tiny deck of those, some of which give endgame points, some of which give you abilities you can use during the game. And again, they sort of point you in the direction of, well, maybe, you know, you need to build... Um, sewing machines or fur coats or glasses because there's a card there that happens to say any of those that you get or in fact if you get more more than one they're worth six victory points each so everyone then is going to be competing for those of course there's only two of each um they provide another wrinkle that obviously can change each time i mean just like there's one that actually gives you negative points for those cards left in your hand because you talked about the way this game ends is when the first person uses up all the cards in their hand. Basically, everyone else gets one more turn, and that's it. So it can take on a bit of a race element if you're not sort of delving deeply into the game. It can take on a bit of a race element of, okay, I just want to get rid of all these cards, get out, go quick. And you get a token at the end that's worth seven victory points. If you do that, and you might leave everyone else with egg on their face and a fistful of cards, but also if you do that really quickly you're not necessarily going to build an engine that is going to create lots of victory points for it. Yeah, and that's another thing, is that you build up your hand of heaps and heaps and heaps of cards, and you think, oh my god, there's so many cards, what am I going to do? How am I going to you know, turn these into victory points and get rid of them? And then you just notice that the fact that, just due to the way that the game works, that you've built other stuff, everyone else around you's built other stuff, they just start to flow out your hand. I had many cards in my hand that I thought, I'm going to not have a chance at getting this whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And then two turns later... 
oh, Mark just built this and Garth just built that. I can build that right now. Yeah. That, that, that seemed like miles away. And then it just flows and flows and flows. And everyone's kind of in the same boat, but doing their own different thing. And as Mark said, with those cards that are on the board, which can change every game... They're always can be a slightly so you could like customize them specifically to if you're playing with somebody that's not big on these type of games to make them a bit more friendly or you can make them a bit more cutthroat if, you know for people like us or just randomize them so it is slightly different each time. Yeah, I look, I I try and find a negative in this game, um, and it's it's hard. I mean, mm. I think the orientation of the population cards can be a bit dumb because I want to hold them a particular way so I can see all the prerequisites nice and easily, and you can only do that by holding them vertically. Uh, and the setup is annoying because you have to put all these little tokens, and as you say, Leon, there are dozens of them on there. Yeah. But just after a couple of plays, and we've now played this at least four times quite recently, it plays quick and the turns are quick and you get lo loads of drip-fed satisfaction because you're never going, oh, that's a garbage turn. Even if you're doing a festival, which is a, basically a reset, you still go, okay, I'm doing that right now because I've exhausted everything really efficiently. And, and in fact, the only use of gold in this game is to do what's called a shift end, which is to, to pay gold to bring back those shift workers. So by having a good trading economy, you're going to always have the bits of gold to get workers to go back to reuse them so you're delaying your festivals. Yeah. So it's good. That's the only negative I can give it as well is the fact that, like I said, you can have a hand of a lot of cards. So I did ask Garth to have a, like a little card holder that he had. And in that little card holder, I put five or six cards that were I was nowhere near getting at the time. I kind of put them aside and just had in my hand the five or six that I was trying to work towards. And that made things a bit of a... That's one little negative, but at the end of the day, it's... And, and so did I fall asleep? Did you mention that there are cards that if you complete them, they allow you to throw out other cards? Yes. No. Oh, there's lots of different bonuses yes. that we get. We don't have enough time there, for all there's, of that. There's deck thinning, yes, there yeah. is. But yeah, so... Um, and also, like Mark just mentioned before, um, I've been playing the PC game since we played this board game the other day. And the board game is very, very true to the PC game. The PC game is like a Civilization-type game, but it's not quite as anywhere near as complicated as what they are. And it just flows. And my God, does it look pretty as well. But the board game. I'll give you my thoughts on this board game. Uh, before I played this board game, Longshot, I think, was probably my game of the year so far. Haven't played that much, to be honest, but Longshot was definitely up there. This game, I said it's a Euro game, not normally my cup of tea. I had purchased this game about 40% into us playing it. Wow. <laughs> and I absolutely love it. It is going to sit pride and place on my Kallax in one of my cubes next to La Havre and Concordia, which is essentially the only other Euro games I probably <laughs> do own. But... Oh, it's it's so good. I absolutely love you. You were both you hit the nail on the head perfectly when you said I think you're really gonna like this and yeah, I absolutely loved it. And I'd be more than happy. I think it's one of those games that I think I could take this and like teach it to my family that aren't really board gaming type people. I think they could probably manage it. Whereas thinking of nearly any other year like I wouldn't do that with Concordia or La Havre, but this game I absolutely yeah. would. Now, Garth, um, one game we haven't talked about on this show yet. Um can never remember what the B stands for. It's not a Korean K-pop band. BTS. Oh yes, Beyond, Beyond the, Sun. the Sun. So this game, Anno eighteen hundred, is a, as we said, a very much like a tech tree game. You're building up from basic resources to more complex, to more complex, to more complex. Really, that's the game, and then solving the puzzle of the cards that can't be solved. As of course, as I said, BTS Beyond the Sun. Sorry, 
is also a very much like a pure tech tree game where it's set in a science fiction universe where you're basically building a tech that lets you build another tech that lets you build another tech. But they're very, very different games. Now, I know we haven't talked about that game much, but what is it? Can you think in a nutshell, what is it that makes this game so much better than that game and that captures you absolutely loving it and you're into the heavier games and at the same time, Leon, who you know, think six turns ahead, oh, look, as long as there's only seven turns in the game. The two things that immediately spring to mind are the population cards, yeah. because I've got direction and I've got little bits of success as well as long-term success. Yeah. The other thing is the trading, the interaction between the players, because Beyond the Sun is very much, yeah. I'm just going to do this thing, and we, we need to talk about it, because the only exception to that is the, the space part of the board. Spoiler alert, I hate that part of the game. <laughs> yes. I'm, not, I'm not in the, the, yeah. the, the, the popular side of that, but that's the thing that separates it for me. I mean, the simple answer is it's a Euro game that has a theme that actually works. Mm. I do feel like this is a Civ game where I'm building an island and I'm trading with my fellow people on different islands. And how many Euro games can say that they have any theme whatsoever, let alone look this nice and work? And also in terms of, say, a price, this game ain't expensive at all. No. This game in Australia you can pick up for like 70, 80 bucks, which for a Euro game is nearly yeah. unheard of. And it's really pretty as well. You've, it's pretty much, it ticks every single box. Yeah, look, the last thing I would say, and I hate that I'm saying this to agree to Mark, <laughs> is that you do get a little bit of satisfaction by naming your factories. <laughs> yeah. You get this, this real joy and go, okay, well, I've combined this and this, and now I'm going to make this factory, and that satisfies, you know, Mr. I don't know, Mr. Mutton Chops, yeah. who is now a salty sea captain because he's given me some merchant trade tokens. There is that, that yeah. little bit of just fun that you have with it and, and i really enjoy and it. i don't know if you've mentioned it before on this show but you said martin wallace gives you simple what was it you said mechanically simple, simple games that, that generate complex decisions but he also loses to me so you know <laughs> and garth also very much loses to me no no but the <laughs> other thing that martin wallace does which i do love about his games is he fits the theme and the mechanics together. Like, no, you don't feel like you're building boxes in the 18th century, but all the bits make sense. And it's like, well, now I've built boxes and now I want to put something in the boxes, so I'm going to put cans in the boxes. What am I going to put in the cans? Well, I'm going to put pig meat in the cans. Or You know, the, the story that it tells works really well. It does. And on that bombshell... Mm. We have to finish. It has been episode 329 of The Dice Men Cometh. Please, for your sake, go and see how to uh, listen to our secret episode and make sure you do enter our BorderCon competition. Use the email address dicemencometh at gmail.com or at dicemencometh on the socials because more entries equals more good equals more people at BorderCon. It's wonderful. And go play the two games of the year, as far as I'm concerned, that we just told you about. Fantastic. We have been the Dice Man Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Thank you for hanging out with us on the Thursday night. You can listen to us on Spotify. You can listen to us via podcast. And you can listen to us in a couple of Thursday nights' time. But until then, we will see you. Good night. Bye. Toodles. You've been listening to another episode of The Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.